0: Hi, I'm Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Notes. Today, one in 10 businesses is relying on some form of support to keep them alive. Plus, we talk value investing with an old favourite, Roger Montgomery.
1: Great
0: to have your company for another episode, and I think it's appropriate today that we start with maybe a little bit of iggy pop. I'm
1: looking for one, value. Looking
0: for one value, but nothing comes my way. In all the 10 years that I was doing my radio program around the country, one of the most popular guests that we had on a regular basis was Roger Montgomery. Now, I've known Roger for a long, long time, and I know his values when it comes to investing, which is what made it, I think, so popular with so many people. The whole idea is about trying to create value and trying to discover value in the stock market. But in many cases, Roger doesn't follow the stocks that... The herd does, that many people do. In other words, the stocks that might be, shall I say, flavour of the month, the hot stocks. He looks for stocks that actually make money. It's an old-fashioned principle, I know, that if companies make money, then generally they should be able to reward their shareholders. Anyway, with the money minutes, I thought what a good idea that we can get back a few of the old band members and try and get their insights into where the stock market is right now because it would be fair to say with the real rebound in our stock market, largely driven by a lot of technology stocks in particular here in Australia, it hasn't been those old-fashioned companies that make money that have really driven the market to these high values. Indeed, many of those companies now have question marks over them about whether they can continue to make the money so from montgomery investment can i welcome roger montgomery uh many thanks for your time roger
1: great to be with you again ross absolutely delighted to be on the show
0: okay so uh, let's let's go you and i have done this for many years we've actually discussed the markets up down or sideways is it reasonable to say that your style of investing right now is out of fashion
1: Value investing, deep value investing is definitely out of fashion, but looking for quality uh, at the right price isn't. And it's fair to say that at the start of the year when the market fell substantially back in March, it's fair to say there was a lot of value around. And so we were able to take advantage of that. Uh, What's happened since, of course, is the market's got a lot more expensive, particularly amongst, as you mentioned in your introduction, the companies that aren't earning money today, but There's a lot of hope around them earning money in the future. They're really expensive right now. And so right now, it would be difficult to be a value investor.
0: Okay, is it true that if you are a value investor, and where I think about this, I go back to Robert Maple Brown. Of course, Maple oh. Brown Abbott was one of the really good long-term performing fund managers in Australia for superannuation funds and for its investors. He recognised that there were periods when he would underperform simply because his style of investment was not really the flavour of the month. It seems to me right now that's the case, that if you are looking for value, those types of stocks, A, are either too expensive or B, there's too much doubt about their earnings. And, of course, we are right now about to go into the middle of the earnings reporting period, uh, and, and many of those companies are going to be reporting earnings that are, that are disappointing to the market.
1: Yeah, look, there's no doubt about that. If, if you go back to the GFC, when the Federal Reserve started their quantitative easing program, uh, that means buying bonds and pushing down the yield uh, of bonds, so flattening the yield curve. So short-term rates were at zero, and then long-term rates were even lower, um, or not lower, but just as low, that flattening of the yield curve basically meant that investors were looking for growth wherever they could get it. Now, equity, the equity part of your portfolio is the bit that delivers the growth. So it makes perfect sense to be looking for growth. But since the GFC, what's happened is value stocks have underperformed growth stocks. So growth strategies, have really done well because people have been searching for a better return and value stocks have been left to languish. Now, at some point in the future, there'll be an almighty mean reversion. By that, I mean technology and growth might might get hammered or it might stay where it is, but value starts to outperform. But at the date that we're speaking today, value is still underperforming and that's been going on for almost a decade. Now, with respect to reporting season, you know, The guidance has gone out the window. There's no guidance anymore um, in the market. There's not a company brave enough to put out guidance, given what's going on in the economy. And there's also very few analysts that are willing to put out a forecast. And so this reporting season is gonna be full of more surprises than I think we've ever seen in any reporting season before. The disparity in earnings estimates are really wide. And we also know that some companies are gonna do really well, some are gonna do really badly. That tends to be a recipe for surprises. Is
0: even the fact that the government has given out so much stimulus to try and prop up the economy and to try and keep jobs um, for, for many Australian families, is that not also potentially a bit of a mask for what may be taking place in reality with those companies? In other words, there's a whole bunch of companies that might report half reasonable profits during this reporting period. Only... By virtue of the fact that the government has given out so much stimulus money that's found its ways into the those companies' hands if that stimulus stops these companies might also struggle into the future
1: yeah look uh, it's that's absolutely correct so you've got you've got job keeper and the increased job seeker obviously that's also masked uh, the underlying picture for unemployment and incomes but you, you might be surprised to know that the bigger part of the uh, benefit to consumers has been superannuation withdrawal. So most of the money that people have received in aggregate has come from super withdrawal. And in many cases, people have taken all their super out. Um, they've taken all their super out. And, and what's interesting, Ross, is that what has been spent on more than anything else, the two highest spending categories have been paying off uh, debt and gambling. So you know you could really surmise that there are a lot of people who have been taking money out of their super and gambling with it. Um, there's also been a lot of spending on household goods. But you're absolutely right. In summary, uh, a lot of that is masking the real picture for companies, and a lot of the demand has been brought forward. So when JobKeeper stops, uh, it's obviously going to uh, it's going to be a staged process. When when JobSeeker drops, and when these superannuation Uh, uh, allowances and permissions to take money out of super when that stops, I think what that's going to show is that a lot of demand was brought forward. Companies had seen the benefit of that, but it's not going to continue forever.
0: Okay, so because you and I were both around in the last recession, we, we traded through that, we understood how that worked. And, and, and I keep trying to explain to people, and on this podcast, it, the recession didn't hit until four years after the stock market crash. Um, and what government did was that they did all the things that they're trying to do now, stimulated the economy, interest rates went low, tried to create a housing boom, tried to bring forward demand, um, and that sort of worked. But as soon as that stopped, really, the whole thing fell in on itself. That's what I'm gravely worried about right now, um, not only for companies, which right now, of course, remember, are allowed to trade even if they're in And I look at a whole range of retailers out there that I would be worried about, property owners in that retail space as well. And so it's just still a case whereby even though people might have a fear of missing out, that they might have missed this run in the stock market, they've still got to be, I think at least, extremely cautious of what's to come. Because as soon as government either here or around the world starts to withdraw stimulus, then under those circumstances, that's where you've got your real economic problem.
1: I think that's absolutely right. And what we've got to remember is that the, it's not really stimulus, Ross, it's just support. If you think about the size of the U.S. economy, their annual TNP is about 23 to $26 trillion. So far, they've injected about 3 to $4 trillion uh, into the economy, and they're talking about another trillion dollars. But really, that doesn't touch the size. I mean, you're talking about the output of the country for a month or maybe two months tops. So it's not really stimulatory at all. It's just supportive. And when that stops, as you rightly point out, with record levels of unemployment, um, or you know, and, that, that, and by that, I'm refer- referencing uh, the Great Depression as well. People say the Great Depression, uh, unemployment was higher in the United States. But in actual fact, they were counting people over the age of 14 back then. Today, we only count people over the age of 16. And so if you took out the 14 and 15-year-olds in the Great Depression, the unemployment today is probably the same as if not higher than it was back then. So we do have a real problem. And when that stimulus, not the stimulus, when that support uh, wanes or is is pegged back, I think we're going to see a problem that's going to be with us for a very long time. Generally,
0: a value investor will um, be very selective in when they buy and what they buy. And when they do that, they tend to hold for a very long period of time. Uh, The real issue is right now that the value investor might be actually doing nothing because they can't find value and or the other alternative is that if you do buy, you may need to be prepared to move pretty quickly out of that position if circumstances change or if indeed even the economic outlook were to change that could affect that company. Is that the way you see it with some of the stocks you're looking at right now?
1: Yeah, well, it depends which fund you're looking at. So in our small companies fund, what we've done is we've rotated out of the retail, the bricks and mortar retail space, because for the reasons you just described a minute ago, uh, that is a really uh, problematic uh, sector, and we think that a lot of the a lot of their revenues have been artificially supported. But we also see companies in the technology space that have long runways for growth, and what's happened is COVID nineteen and the coronavirus outbreak has has really shown that trend or really accelerated that trend. For example, cloud computing. So data centres owned by Next DC and Macquarie Telecoms, for example. And then the technology that sits around those data centres, um, which is owned by Megaport. Um, and so you know, we think those those businesses have grown uh, exponentially during coronavirus. They'll, what will happen is they'll, they'll reach a, a new higher plateau and they'll continue to grow from that higher plateau. And then in our larger cap funds, what we've done is, we because of the risks associated, we think in a lot of industrial Traditional and conventional businesses, we've actually reduced the what's called the beta of the portfolio, or the volatility of the portfolio, by investing in companies where we think there's going to be an uplift from the realisation that interest rates are going to stay lower for longer, as well as giving some giving us uh, an option if the if a vaccine is developed, they'll come back very quickly. So things like Transurban and uh, Atlas Arteria, which owns 2,300 kilometres of toll roads in France, they'll come back very quickly if a vaccine is developed and their yields are pretty solid and they've got a lot of levers to pull where they don't have to raise capital. Um, and so we think they're very, very high quality infrastructure businesses that'll benefit not only from a lower from longer interest rate environment, but also if the vaccine is developed.
0: And that's an interesting thread because you're looking for companies that have sustainability and longevity and cash flows coming no matter the circumstances. But given what we've explained, and that is you can be underperforming at a time when the markets really are uh, not in the favour of value investors. Is it a frustrating thing? Because we know that investors often are impatient for returns. Um, but as a value investor, is it one of those things you have to teach yourself, the patience, to really wait your time to keep the research going and to really pick your targets uh, for when the timing uh, does turn to your favor.
1: Well, it's not a problem for the small cap fund, but in fact uh, uh, since its inception uh, towards the in the second or third sorry third quarter last year, um, the small cap fund is now the number one or two performing small cap fund in Australia. So it's outperforming. In our large cap fund you're absolutely right, but it's a it's a long game. We we're, we're investing for 10, 15, 20 years. We're not investing for 6 months. The, the average length of a recession uh is about uh about 1 year and 8 months uh in fact that's the that's the average time a recession has lasted in the united states in the free banking era since about 18 1839 or thereabouts um and then the time the average time to get back to pre-crisis levels of income since world war 2 has been about 4 years so um so, you know, this is going to be around for a while and we've got to invest for longer than just six months. And at the moment, many people in the market think this is going to be over very quickly. And that's why they've priced uh, stocks so enthusiastically. You look at the bond market, Ross, the bond market uh, is telling you there's a massive problem. The Australian government has just, just issued a 31-year bond. I think they were looking to raise $2 billion or $3 billion. They got $7.5 billion worth of bids and they settled at about uh, 1.9% for 31 years. That's telling you that there's a problem in the economy that's not going to go away quickly, uh, and that, uh, that is not what the stock market believes.
0: I'll tell you what, it's always good to get your perspective and get your insights into where the market is. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough market right now for people to read. Uh, and also, it's one that does require patience and indeed that knowledge of where value lies and where it doesn't. Let's do this on a regular basis, Roger. It's always good to get your insights, and I appreciate your time today.
1: I'm looking forward to talking to you next time,
0: So just on the subject of the Australian economy and where we sit right now with the impact of coronavirus, today the Australian Bureau of Statistics has put out more information about the way in which business is relying on government and banking and indeed landlord support. So what it's saying is that two in five Australian businesses, 42% to be precise, currently access support measures that include wage subsidies, so think there, the JobKeeper allowance in particular. Also, deferring loan repayments, or indeed, renegotiating rental or lease arrangements to manage the impact of the coronavirus. Now, this data has gone and shown that more than half of medium-sized businesses, 53% are accessing support measures, 42% of small businesses, 38% of large businesses, Now, these businesses are the employers of Australia. The really troubling thing about this survey is that one in ten businesses report that if support measures are no longer available, they would expect to close. Now, that goes also very close to where Deloitte, a little while ago, indicated it believed around 270,000 Australian businesses could go to the wall if support measures were withdrawn. Now, bear in mind that one of the most important support measures right now is the ability for directors to be allowed to trade a company while it's insolvent. Normally, that's illegal. And indeed, the directors would be personally and financially responsible for that. So because businesses are allowed right now to trade while insolvent and 10% say that they would no longer be open, in fact, they would close if support measures were withdrawn, what choice does the government have because either it's, number one, got to sacrifice these businesses and therefore the jobs. Remember, the government continues to say that it's all about the jobs. Because that genuinely would see Australia fall into a much deeper, longer-term recession that nobody would really want. But in the meantime, of course, the government is continuing to pay out up billions upon billions of dollars of borrowed money that future taxpayers will in some stage have to be responsible for. And so there is a dilemma of the coronavirus, especially given the fact that there is still, even today, no apparent or immediate vaccine on the horizon to take business back to where it was. But it's not just Australia that's feeling these impacts as well. In fact, there's also a new survey that's come out by Xero that does all of the software for business around the place. And what it indicates is depending on when economies have been freed up that will also have an impact on the state of those businesses. So say, for example, the state of New Zealand right now is seen to be stronger than anywhere else. It's experienced the strongest early rebuilding phase of the Australia, the UK and New Zealand because, of course, what they've seen is that they've had the biggest drop in revenue when lockdowns were introduced, but they've come out much faster. Australia, the next best... Small business they report have started to re employ and revenues are above their low point. But the UK, that started to ease restrictions later than the other two countries, yet to hit the trough in employment outcomes, but had modest improvement in revenues in June. Now let's go to the United States. And Jay Powell, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the US Federal Reserve, has been out talking about this. Here's a little of what he had to say
1: A full recovery is unlikely until people are confident that it's safe to re engage in a broad range of activities. The path forward will also depend on policy actions taken at all levels of government to provide relief and to support the recovery for as long as needed. The Federal Reserve's response to this crisis has been guided by our mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people, along with our responsibilities to promote the stability of the financial system.
0: So one of the most amazing stories of the day, I think at least anyway, is that of Kodak. Now, bear in mind that Kodak, which was one of the biggest companies in the world as Eastman Kodak, collapsed some eight years ago in 2012. Uh, The business really has been a shadow of its former self when it clearly missed the change in photographic trends where we'd all use them with our phones and tried to stick stubbornly to the idea that we'd have the Kodachrome. Now, the share price, however, of Kodak has jumped almost 1,500% this week. You might have seen these stories. The shares rose from $2.10 last Friday. They closed at $33.20 overnight last night. Now, the reason for that is because the US Federal Government, Donald Trump, if you like, has given a loan out so that they can turn from being a photographic company into being a chemicals company can therefore be the base material for drugs and pharmaceuticals. Here's just a little of its chief executive, Jim Continenza. You know, about two months ago we started so approximately, but they were very, very high initial talks. You know, when the pandemic started, Kodak wanted to see what we could do to participate. We were making hand sanitizers, face shields, PCB boards for ventilators, and we started going down this path, but it was so early, there's nothing really to mention. We were just... One of our core companies has always been chemistry... Uh, For over 100 years, we've been doing chemistry. and We do make some non-starter materials, non-regulated KSM's today. We realised we could do more. The government realised they could do more. They kind of reached out and uh, we we found a path that makes a lot of sense for the uh, American uh, public to help bring the pharmaceutical protections back to America. And Donald Trump, well, he simply said this was yet another example of America getting its own know-how back again to start making things itself
1: with this new agreement my administration is using the defense production act to provide a 765 million dollar loan to support the launch of kodak pharmaceuticals it's a great name when you think of it such a great name was one of the great brands in the world then uh, people went digital and kodak didn't follow but now under very extraordinary leadership they are following And uh, they're doing something that's a different field, and it's a field that they've really hired some of the best people in the world to be taking care of that company and watching that company watching over it. But it's a breakthrough in bringing pharmaceutical manufacturing back to the United States.
0: There's only one small problem about this whole thing with Kodak transforming itself into a chemicals company, and that is... Well, the stock price started the run on Monday. The announcement wasn't made until Wednesday. It seems the Kodak transformation might have been one of the worst kept secrets on Wall Street. So, thanks for your company today. Really appreciate your feedback. Please give more of it. I'm Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Minutes.